Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AdWords Podcast. Sam Alicia here. As always, fantastic to have you listening, and thank you for taking the time. I've got a bumper of an episode for you today. Lots and lots and lots of updates, new things, like my list is pretty long. So strap in. <laughs> you may want to make this a two-session listen. It's really up to you. We'll see how we travel. But there's lots of domains to cover. We'll be talking about big data. We'll be talking about development. We'll be talking about security. We'll be talking about um, enterprise management, just to name a few. But the topic I'd like to start with is one of my favorites, and that is price reductions. Here at Amazon, we love to reduce prices on behalf of our customers. It means that they can do more with less. They can move quickly. They can experiment. They can get the benefits of scale. It really is fundamental to um, what it is we do here, and I'm always excited to talk about it. So the first one to talk about is Amazon Kinesis Firehose. Now, this is a really handy service for ingesting huge amounts of information really, really fast in a scalable and simple way. Um, the thing with Amazon Kinesis Firehose is you can send the data directly to things like S3 or Elasticsearch, just to name a couple. Um, with a few clicks. In fact, I've used it recently on a project I'm working on and it was super simple to set up, including uh, encryption as well. So really helps you do that end-to-end experience with really zero setup and maintenance effort. So what's the price reduction? It's a 17% price reduction for Amazon Kinesis Firehose per gig of data ingested. And there's also now a tiered pricing plan to further reduce prices by an additional 26%. So you can get this service for as low as um, two cents per gig of data ingested when data volumes reach a certain tier. Now, with these two changes, you can save up to 43% in costs when loading streaming data using Analyst Kinesis Firehose. So it's a great solution for real-time streaming data, getting it in at scale, at volume into the place you want it to be. Another price reduction is from the EC2 team. And this is a reduction on reserved instances and M4 instances. So essentially, um, it's a big table of changes. So you can have a look at what the cost reductions for you are. Uh, It depends on the region. But this is our 61st AWS price reduction. So we've done many of them in the past. Um, The price differential depends on the region you're in. So for example, if you're in uh, US East, um, some of your M4s have dropped by 16% um, for a no upfront reserved instance for Linux. Um, if you're in Tokyo, um, R4, for example, is down 10%. Um, if you're in Singapore, M4 is down by 17%. Essentially, it depends on the model that you're using. Um, also, for M4 instances, we're lowering those prices across the board by up to 7%. So I'll link in the show notes the uh, pricing guide and the blog post that goes through all the detail of this. But basically what you want to know is that there are lower costs for reserved instances and lower costs for M4 instances that you can take advantage of right away. And speaking again of pricing, one of the nuanced things about pricing is getting the latest price. And so we, of course, have the AWS price list API, and there's been an update to the capability of that API. Uh, There is now the ability to have a separate price list for each AWS region. So this means you get a smaller list. Uh, It'll download more quickly than the original non-regionalized list, which you can still use. So you have the option to look at all services across all regions with all prices, or you can restrict it down to just the region that you're interested in. But enough of pricing, let's build some software, shall we? Now, I started my career in software development, and 
you know, it's always an interesting thing that when you get a good idea and you're ready to go, the first thing you do is roll up your sleeves and start to set up your laptop, your environment, your build tool chain, the components you need, the issue management, all the stuff that is really not related to the idea that you're trying to execute on. Uh, it's what you might call, get ready, undifferentiated heavy lifting. So I'm really excited to share with you the news of a new service that's available to you called AWS CodeStar. Now, AWS CodeStar is a cloud service designed to make it easier to develop, build, and deploy applications on AWS by simplifying the setup of your entire development project. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are leaning forward at this point because you go, aha, that's the bit that takes me a long time. So CodeStar includes project templates for common development platforms and allows you to provision your projects and resources for coding, building, testing, deploying, and running really, really fast. So let me give you a little summary. This this is a service that's going to warrant a much deeper dive in the future, but I want to give you a taste of what it gives you. So for a start, it'll easily let you create new projects using templates for Amazon EC2, AWS Elastic Beanstalk, or AWS Lambda using five different languages. So you can use JavaScript, Java, Python, Ruby, and PHP. You select a template, and the service will do all the underlying AWS service creation for you to get you up and going. It gives you a unified experience for access and security policies management for your whole team. So projects get automatic configuration of the correct IAM access policies, so you are secure, but you can access the services that you need. It also provides a pre-configured project management dashboard to allow you to track various uh, activities, so things like code commits, build results, deployment activity, and more. This is sort of something you might choose to display on a big screen uh, in the big development room. Lots of sample code to choose from, and you can use your favorite IDE, so you can use Visual Studio, Eclipse, or really any code editor that supports Git. And it also automatically configures your continuous delivery pipeline for each project. It uses AWS code commit, code build, code pipeline, and code deploying concert to build you that framework that you need to get into production quickly. It also has integration built in with Atlassian Jira software for issue management and tracking directly from the AWS CodeStar console. So I know a lot of development teams like to use that tool. Good Australian tool. Go Australia. Um, that is built in as well. What this basically means is you can get up and running super fast without having to build out all the complexity and all the detail that you need to have to build a modern software development environment. It's available today in a number of regions. It will continue to grow across all regions very soon. So take a look and we'll dive deep in that one pretty soon. Speaking of development, if you are a user of JMS, so the Java message service, which is very commonly deployed in a number of applications, um, there is a new Amazon SQS Java messaging library available that supports FIFO queues. So remember, we released uh, first-in, first-out queues that are now supported within the Simple Queue service. Now you can integrate that with any application that uses the Java message service super easily. Uh, it's an open source client that we provide that you can use and you can import and go. So a nice way to interact really quickly. Another uh, update that the uh, Simple Queue service team have been doing, and yeah, they continue to expand and grow the capability of that service, is providing server-side encryption. Now, this means that you can choose to have SQS encrypt messages stored in both standard and FIFO queues using an encryption key provided by the AWS Key Management Service or KMS. You can choose this option when you create your queue and you can also set it for an existing queue. Now, server-side encryption encrypts the body of the message, so it's the content of the message, but it does not touch the queue metadata, the message metadata, or the per-queue metrics. 
Um, adding encryption to an existing queue does not encrypt any of the backlog messages and removing encryption leaves backlog messages encrypted. So it's kind of a in place type thing. But what this means is that if you have a workload that requires that level of encryption, you can use that. It's currently available in US West Oregon and US East Ohio regions and that will expand to a lot of the other regions as well. The nice news is, is that there is no charge for the use of encryption. Um, of course, you will be charged for the calls that SQS makes to KMS, and there's some information about that as well. So if you need encryption on your queue, you now have that. Now, of course, the big announcement was, of course, AWS CodeStar, but there's always lots and lots of little changes that are handy that come along all the time. One of those changes is AWS Lambda. It now supports tagging and cost allocation. So now using tags, you can add metadata to each of your functions. Now, you'll probably all know that a tag is a key and a value, and these tags can be used to allocate costs from your AWS bill to individual business functions and Lambda functions, and there's no charge for tagging your Lambda functions. So this makes it really nice to be able to track what is going on from a Lambda perspective, from a cost perspective. And I'm a big fan of using AWS Lambda because it allows you to tie your operational activity from an IT perspective really, really closely to the business functions that you're supporting or providing. Another change with AWS Lambda, it now supports Python 3.6. So if you are a Python 3.6 type person, you can smile and deploy to your heart's content on AWS Lambda. Continuing on the theme of making uh, software development easier and more practical is AWS X-Ray. Now, I've got some cool news about AWS X-Ray, but just to step back and remind you, um, X-Ray helps you perform end-to-end tracing of requests and also report, record a representative sample of the traces made, and it lets you visualize all those services and trace data together. So this helps you understand the relationships between different services and analyze performance issues and errors. It's really a nifty way to see things. Now, this particular service was launched in preview form at reInvent of last year. Doesn't seem that long ago, but time has passed. Well, now it is generally available, and it has support in US East, North Virginia, US West, Northern California, US East, Ohio. Ohio, US West Oregon, EU Ireland, EU Frankfurt, South America Sao Paulo, Asia Pacific Tokyo, Asia Pacific Seoul, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific uh, Mumbai. So many, many regions there that it's available day one. Now, also, there is a new capability that was worked on during the preview period, and that is AWS Lambda integration. So this is being launched today in preview form as well. So you can now use X-Ray to get visibility into your function execution and performance. Now you can imagine that this is really, really interesting and a nifty way to understand how all those Lambda functions are interacting with one another. Now X-Ray will start to have a charge starting on May the 1st of 2017. And pricing is based on the number of traces that you record and the number that you analyze as well. You can record 100,000 traces and retrieve or scan 1 million traces every month at no charge. So you get to really experience what X-Ray does. Beyond that, you pay $5 for every million traces that you record and 50 cents for every million traces you retrieve for analysis. Now, there's lots more information and detail on the pricing page, so check that out. But you can see it's a very low investment for a very large amount of information. If you're a developer, 
you probably have users of your application if you're doing it well. And if you're doing any form of security, you need to have user sign up, sign in. You need to often do authentication through other social identity media providers like Facebook or Twitter or Amazon. Um, you might want to use SAML-based identity solutions or even your own. Um, you need to manage uh, verification, password changes, policies, etc. Well, the service that helps you do that is something called Amazon Cognito. And it is a really powerful service that lets you do all this and synchronize data across your users' devices as well so they get a seamless app experience. Now, this service has been around for a little while, but it is now supported by AWS CloudFormation. And this means you can templatize the creation of your Cognito service appropriate to your application or the regions in which your application are launched. So this gives you far more automation and flexibility than you had before. And there's a really nifty capability to take advantage of. You don't have to roll your own user management anymore. One of the services that are often used by people building mobile applications or high performance applications is Amazon DynamoDB, which is of course our NoSQL database service. Now there is a new capability that is in public preview. And these are called VPC endpoints for Amazon DynamoDB. Now if you access DynamoDB, it offers data protection and security using TLS endpoints for encryption in transit and a client-side encryption library, as well as fine-grained access controls using IAM. So you can get very granular control. VPC endpoints for DynamoDB further improves privacy and security, particularly for applications with strict compliance and audit requirements or that handle sensitive data. Essentially, what it allows you to do is to connect directly from assets within your VPC to DynamoDB without having to traverse any public internet connectivity. So you don't need to have a NAT gateway or anything like that. It all stays within the AWS cloud. Now this is available in public preview in the following regions, Asia Pacific Seoul, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific Tokyo, EU Frankfurt, South America, Sao Paulo, US East Ohio, and US West North California. It'll also be available in other regions very soon, and there is a link to sign up for the public preview access so that you can experiment and explore. Now, speaking of security, we have a number of services and tools out there for customers to make their environments more secure. And really, the tools you use depend on the use case you're dealing with. One of those capabilities available to you is Amazon Inspector. And this is our automated security assessment service. It analyzes the behavior of the applications that you run in AWS and helps you identify potential security issues. And it does this by using a really intelligent database of things to look for and runs agents on your Linux and Windows-based EC2 instances. Now, the team have built some new capabilities. The first one is assessment reporting. You can now generate new assessment reports that give you a comprehensive summary of the assessment, beginning with an executive summary. And these things are designed to be downloaded and shared with teams and with leaderships, as well as providing documentation for compliance audits. So it provides you with a really super easy way to say, hey, here's the things that are going on in my environment that I'm aware of and that I can report upon to show compliance and a security posture. Another nice capability is proxy support. And I know a lot of customers have asking, been asking for this. You can now configure the agent to run within proxy environments. So this is really useful, particularly in enterprise environments where you use a lot of proxying. Um, it is now completely compatible with that. 
Now, any application worth its salt generates data, in many cases, lots and lots of data. And one of the uh, really handy tools for analyzing data in a data warehouse context is, of course, our old friend, Amazon Redshift. And this service is designed to allow AWS customers to build petabyte-scale warehouses. Now, if you've worked with data warehousing in the past, you'll know that moving the data to the warehouse can be incredibly challenging and complicated. So there is a fantastic new capability in Amazon Redshift called Amazon Redshift Spectrum. And this provides exabyte scale. That's right, exabyte. That's the one up from petabyte. In place queries of S3 data. It all comes back to our good friend S3, doesn't it? So what you can now do is issue queries to your Redshift cluster as, use, as usual. However, now Redshift and Redshift Spectrum can scale thousands of instances on a per query basis in the back end, accessing the data that is already stored in S3 and then returning it as part of the query that you issued to Redshift. So this is really interesting. Basically what Redshift does is rips apart the query that you've issued, generates a query plan that minimizes the amount of S3 data that we read, taking advantage of both column-oriented formats and data that is partitioned by date or some other key. Then Redshift requests Spectrum workers from a large shared pool and directs them to project, filter, and aggregate that S3 data. The final processing is performed within the Redshift cluster and the results are returned to you. Now, there's a lot of complexity going on back there, all of which you are protected from. Simply, you store your data in S3, which means you can use it for other things. You can use it for EMR jobs. You can use it for Athena, etc. And you can also implement hybrid models where frequently queried data is kept in Redshift local storage and the rest is in S3. Or your dimension tables are in Redshift or in recent parts of the fact table with older data in S3. Lots and lots of different choices you've got there. Now, Spectrum supports open common data types, including CSV, TSV, Parquet, uh, sequence file, RCF file. Um, it also allows you to have files compressed using gzip or snappy and other data types and compression mechanisms and methods are also on the way. Now, this is all available to use now. It's out there. You can start using it today. And the pricing is based on the amount of data pulled from S3 during query processing and is charged at the rate of $5 per terabyte. Now, of course, you can save money by compressing your data or storing it in column-oriented format. Um, and of course, you pay the usual charges to run your Redshift cluster and store your data in S3. But there are no Spectrum charges when you're not running queries. This is a really interesting capability. It's one of those ones that you kind of need to sit down with a cup of coffee internalize what it means for the way you process large data sets and data warehouse oriented workloads and think about how much expansion you can have and how much more information you can store at very low cost. It really is very, very exciting. In keeping with the topic of data warehouses, one of the things that often happens with data warehouses is lots and lots of unpredictable queries. It's one of those things that you've got people, often teams of people, writing queries to execute against the data warehouse that are ad hoc by their very nature. They're looking for insights, they're looking for new information, and often they may not be building the most optimized queries. Now, Amazon Redshift uses workload management, or WLM, to allow you to manage priorities of resource and queues, etc. Um, you can, for example, put short, fast-running queries in one queue and then long-running queries in another queue. You can mix and match. What the team has done now is allowed you to have query monitoring rules so that you can set rules in place and take action appropriately. So basically, you can either log information about the query to say, hey, I noticed something weird happening with this particular query from a performance perspective. 
You can use a hop action and terminate the query and restart in the next matching queue or canceling it, or you can abort it completely to abort the rule violation of the uh, the query or the query, sorry, to abort the query that has violated the rule. Try saying that five times fast. What this basically means is you can stop suboptimal queries clogging up your queues and you can have a feedback mechanism to talk to the folks who are writing those particular queries to help them do it in a better or more optimized way. So this gives you a lot more control over what you're doing. Now, the team have created a great blog post that talks you through a variety of different approaches. So I'll link to that in the show notes, but it's a great way to understand what's going on in your queries. Let's talk speed. And when we talk speed in databases, typically the phrase Amazon DynamoDB comes up because DynamoDB is designed to provide very consistent high-performance responses at very low latency. Um, Typically, we're talking uh, single-digit millisecond response time for reads. However, you know, people always want to go quicker. So I'm really excited to talk about a new service component that's in preview at the moment called Amazon DynamoDB Accelerator or DAX, DAX, which is in-memory caching for read-intensive workloads. And this allows you to return responses from queries to DynamoDB in microseconds. So we've gone from milliseconds to microseconds. So this is a fantastic fit for eventual consistency read-intensive workloads. Basically, it drops in on top of your existing DynamoDB implementation, and you can create a cluster that you get to specify yourself, um, basically anything from one to 10 nodes, and you use that to increase your overall read throughput. Um, Clusters run within a VPC, and nodes are spread across availability zones. Uh, Essentially, the R3 instance type is used, named DAX R3 large to DAX R3 8x large, And you'll need to use the DAX SDK for Java at this point to communicate with DAX. This SDK communicates with your cluster using a low-level TCP interface that is fine-tuned for low latency and high throughput. Um, We'll also get support for other languages as quickly as possible, but this is the first one. Essentially, I want you to think about using this in cases where you need that very quick response and it's a heavy read load. Now, the nice thing is, is that in modes that are like this, it responds really well to caching and you get a tremendous end user benefit because they're getting their response much quickly, much more quickly. The other benefit is you can often reduce the amount of provision throughput you need from a read perspective from your underlying DynamoDB tables because the cache DAX is doing a lot of the capacity for you. Now, so things to keep in mind, um, the Java API is the first uh, thing that is supported for the preview but there will be um, support for other languages coming. Um, DAX is API compatible with DynamoDB, so there's no need to write your own caching logic or make any changes to your code. It's basically seamless as part of the process. The preview is available now, available in US East Northern Virginia, US West Oregon, and EU Island regions, and you can sign up, and the public preview has no charge. So keep an eye out for that, and be very interesting to hear what you build with it. So we're about 20 minutes in. How are you hanging? <laughs> I told you this would be a long update, but there's lots of good stuff. And the next thing also relates to speed, and that is that Amazon EC2 F1 instances are now generally available. So these are customizable field programmable gate arrays, or FPGAs, that allow you to do hardware acceleration for your software. Now, Amazon EC2 F1 instances are available in two different instance sizes that include up to eight FPGAs per instance. Um, they include the latest 16 nanometer Xilinx UltraScale Plus FPGA with 64 gigabytes of DDR4 ECC protected memory with a dedicated PCIe 
x16 connection to the instance. So you get lots and lots of performance. There are two instance types, F12x large and F116x large. The 16x large has 64 vCPUs. It has 974 GB of memory, uh, 4 by 940 gig of SSD storage. It has enhanced networking, EBS optimization, and eight of those good FPGAs. So it also comes with an FPGA uh, developer AMI or a hardware developer kit. So you can program these FPGAs as much as you like to get the benefit you want. Um, this is one of those services that when I mention it, you're either going to go, aha, FPGAs, I know what they are, I use them all the time, or you're going to go, mm -hmm, maybe something I need to look into. Um, either way, they're generally available. So you can have at it right now. Now let's shift gears into the world of machine learning, artificial intelligence, which will probably replace me on this podcast at some point, and the ability to more intelligently interact with our customers. So you may remember talking about Amazon Lex, and Amazon Lex is a service that was launched at AWS reInvent in preview uh, to help build conversational voice and text interfaces or chatbots, um, things that you can interact with and take advantage of deep learning, the type of deep learning that powers Amazon Alexa to build web and mobile applications that give you engaging lifelike interactions. You know, the ability to order things, get things, ask questions, etc., very, very easily. Well, Amazon Lex is, has exited preview form and is now generally available. So you can start using it today. Um, some of the things that came along during the preview process include Slack integration. So you can have Amazon Lex bots that respond to messages and events sent to a Slack channel. I know Slack is really popular out there. Uh, there is now Twilio integration. So you can have Amazon Lex bots that respond to SMS messages sent to a Twilio SMS number. So another form of interaction. I've also provided uh, SDK support, so you can now use the AWS SDKs to build iOS, Android, Java, JavaScript, Python, .NET, Ruby, PHP, Go, and C++ bots. So you can pick the language that suits you. There is also now, as part of the interface when you're testing, a voice input on the test console. In fact, I used this the other day to test. It was uh, pretty impressive. Um, so you can do this when you're using the Chrome browser. You just click on the microphone and you can speak to it as well. Um, there is also utterance monitoring as well. So this means it will now record the utterances that were not recognized by your bot. Um, so these are known as missed utterances. So you can start to understand what are people saying to your bot that the bot is not getting, and you can adjust your design appropriately. So that is now generally available for you to use. So another part of the uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence family is Amazon recognition. And Amazon recognition is, of course, image detection and recognition that is powered by deep learning. And this took many, many years to build and to analyze lots of data to make this uh, understand what it can see. And now the service supports what's called image moderation. And basically, image moderation is really useful if your website or application lets users upload profile photos or other imagery, because it can now identify images that contain suggestive or explicit content and may not be appropriate for your site. Um, the moderation labels give you detailed subcategories, so you can fine-tune the filters that you use to determine what kind of images you deem acceptable or objectionable. So you can use this for photo sharing sites, forums, dating apps, content platforms for kids, uh, e-commerce platforms, marketplace, and more. So it's a really handy thing to take care of what is a very difficult problem domain in a really sensible and easy way. And the third part of the artificial intelligence family I want to talk about today was, of course, Amazon Polly, which is our ability to convert text to voice. And Amazon Polly now supports speech marks and whispering. 
Speech marks are metadata, which lets a developer synchronize speech with visual experiences. So this means you can do things like lip syncing with facial animation or track along highlighting written words as they're spoken. Uh, lots and lots of choices about how you do this. Now, there are four types of speech marks. There is sentence speech marks, which allow you to specify a sentence element in the input text. Word, which is obviously a word. Uh, visomy, which illustrates the position of the face and mouth corresponding to the sound that is spoken. And speech synthesis markup language, SSML. That's one to run through, which uh, allows you to describe a mark element from the SSML input text. Now, whispering is a speech effect, which is similar to pitch, tempo, and loudness, which means you can have more expressive voices. So you can whisper and have it use a whisper voice, kind of like this. There you go. There's an example of uh, not artificial intelligence, but real intelligence, hopefully of some form, human intelligence, let's say, uh, showing you how to whisper. Now, speaking of all these cool new services, things like Polly and Lex, etc., um, one of the things that we've found is that customers want an easier way to allow the services that create resources on their behalf to do it quickly and easily and very, very securely. So the AWS IAM team have introduced what are called service-linked roles. These give you an easier and more secure way to delegate permissions to AWS services. So the first one that's going to be in play is Amazon Lex, uh, which I just told you about. And what service-linked roles mean is you can simply link the service. So in this case, it could be the AWS service role for LexBots. And it will allow the creation of different IAM profiles and rules to obtain permissions to operate the service on your behalf with just enough security control that it needs. Now, there's a very detailed blog post that goes into uh, some great detail about how this all works that I'll link to in the show notes. But essentially, think of it as a speedy way to get a service up and running as securely as possible. That's got to be a good thing. Now, there is a story arc at play in this week's podcast. Um, we talked about security. We talked about bots. We talked about modern interfaces, etc. One of the things that people often struggle with is presenting a publicly facing API and securing it appropriately. Now, the Amazon API Gateway has done a great job in helping with that with a lot of the security controls, throttling, um, signing of requests, etc. One of the things that customers were saying is that they often had a lot of bloat or wasted developer time to implement simple input validation rules in the code that the API gateway was speaking to. You do validate your input, don't you? Um, probably one of the biggest cause of compromises is people not validating input. Well, the good news is, is that the Amazon API gateway now has request validation. And these are request validators that are a very simple feature that allow you to define the models in which input should be provided. So you can, for example, specify what it looks like, the maximum minimum values and other types of information that show what should be a well-formed request and what is not a well-formed request. If the API gateway checks it and says, hey, this does not look right to me, it will return a 400 bad request, for example, um, to show that the input was incorrect. So this is a really great way to verify and validate your input data, which you always should do, um, without having to do a whole lot of code. Really, really simple. Now, of course, last year at uh, reInvent, seems like we're doing a bit of a retrospective today, aren't we? Um, one of the things that was announced um, to great excitement was a private preview of Aurora, Amazon Aurora with PostgreSQL support. 
Now, I'm really happy to tell you that um, the response has been really strong and people really like that. So the preview has now been opened up and it is now a public preview to all interested customers. You can sign up through the sign-up link and the preview runs in US East Northern Virginia. Um, what you'll find is you'll get two to three times the performance of PostgreSQL running in traditional environments. And it also lets you create quick and easy, low latency read replicas. So definitely something to get your hands on if that's your database engine of choice, because that is now available to have a bit of a play with. Now, if you're already a fan of Aurora, you might be using it for your own database. You'll know that it's a MySQL compatible um, database and that the PostgreSQL support is in preview, um, as I just mentioned. But what you might also know is that your Data definition language or DDL uh, activities um, often cause a pause on the processing of your particular database, particularly if you want to you know, add a new field, etc. Um, and the bigger the database is, the longer it can take. Now, the Amazon Aurora team have done some fantastic work to introduce what's called a fast DDL. This means you can make changes to your schemas really, really quick. Um, Great blog post about this, but let me give you some numbers because it's always interesting to know how quick. Um, on an R3 large, on a 10 gig table, uh, Aurora can do it in 0.27 seconds. So that's uh, applying a standard piece of um, DDL. Uh, MySQL 5.6 can do it in 3,960 seconds and MySQL 5.7 can do it in 1,600 seconds. So just to remind you, the original Aurora me measure was 0.27 seconds. Um, as we get bigger, let's say we move from a 10 gig table to a 100 gig table, Aurora is 0.26 seconds, so still super, super low. Um, whereas MySQL 5.7 has moved to 9,720 seconds, whereas originally it was 1,600 seconds. I'm not going to read all the numbers to you. All I'm going to say, it gets really, really, really fast when you're using Aurora for fast DDL. Now, this can be really meaningful to you in terms of making regular changes, updates, etc. Not having this big overhead is a good thing and it's something you need to think about. Now, let's continue talking about data. And this time we'll talk about big data or more importantly, Hadoop or specifically Amazon Elastic MapReduce. Now, Amazon Elastic MapReduce lets you create Hadoop clusters super easy and fast and what people really want out of that is all the software, the open source software that runs on that. Now, the EMR team have released version 5.5.0, which includes updated versions of Presto, Apache Zeppelin, Hue, uh, and other components. It also includes support for LDAP authentication, a whole bunch of bug fixes as well. So there are lots and lots of changes available to you. So this is a fairly significant release. So feel free to grab it if you are an Amazon EMR user. It's available now. But, you know, if you want to do big data and you're too cool to run servers, <laughs> there is another option, and that's called Amazon Athena. And this is an amazing service that allows you to run ad hoc big data queries against data that resides in Amazon S3. And I was speaking of that little project I was working on earlier. This is another one of the services I have been using as part of the project. And, oh, my goodness, the undifferentiated heavy lifting it takes away. Um, the team now supports querying of encrypted data in Amazon S3. So this is really nice. So this not only makes it possible for Athena to provide support for querying encrypted data in S3, but also enables the encryption of data from Athena's query results. So this means you can kind of use both parts of that. Now, there's a whole lot of detail about how to do it um, in the developer guide, and I'll link to that as well so you can understand what your options are. But essentially, the nice thing to know is that you can have encrypted data in S3, and you can query it without any servers using Amazon Athena without any fuss. 
So we are on the home stretch of the updates I have to share with you. I told you it was a long one, but we're nearly there. Um, one of them is for AWS Batch. Now, AWS Batch now supports customer-provided AMIs. So previously, uh, the managed compute environments launched uh, instances of the ECS optimized AMI. Now, when you're creating your managed compute environment, you can choose the specific AMI that you want to use specifying the image ID. So what this means you can do is you can now change your EBS configuration. You can automatically mount EFS file systems for shared storage amongst jobs. You can use local instance storage for scratch space or configure drivers for GPU accelerated jobs. This is really, really nifty if you're using AWS Batch in any serious way. This gives you way more choice about what you do it as well. And the lucky last announcement or update is if you're using uh, the AWS Marketplace, and the AWS Service Catalog. So the AWS Service Catalog allows you, if you're running a large organization, to kind of maintain an approved software and infrastructure list and set of templates that you can deploy running on AWS. Um, what has been announced is the AWS Marketplace Copy to Service Catalog. So this means you can now copy things out of the AWS, uh, AWS Marketplace into the Service Catalog um, which will then create a AWS CloudFormation template allowing you to deploy what is in the marketplace appropriately within your service catalog. It also means you can only choose to expose your service catalog to your end users and simply add the marketplace items you wish them to use into that as well. So it gives you lots and lots of capability to allow end users to deploy things they need as and when they need them. And after all, that is the point. So my friends, we've come a long way. It's been one of the longer podcasts I've recorded of late with lots of updates. So I hope uh, you've tracked through okay. Um, I think as I mentioned at the start of all this, there are lots more interviews coming up, some deep dives coming up, a big variety of content. Um, so keep on listening. And I do always love to hear your feedback, AWS podcast at amazon.com. Please tell others it's out there. Give it a rating if you think it's good. And of course, until next time, and as always, keep on building.